Welcome to the Big Fish Adventures in Tech podcast. I am your host, Sager Fisher, and today I am very excited to introduce Maggie McAlpine. Maggie is currently the Cyber Engagement Lead for the Center of Threat Informed Defense at MITRE Ingenuity. And prior to her tenure with MITRE, she was a security strategist and chief of staff to the CSO at Cyber Reason. Uh, over the course of her career, Maggie has spoken at numerous conferences such as DEF CON, the Diana Initiative, and even presented on Capitol Hill and the U.S. Naval uh, War College. She is the co-founder of the DEF CON Voting Village and served as a contributing researcher on the security analysis of the Estonia Internet Voting System. Maggie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sager. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so I was, um, you and I met at one of the ISSA chapter, um, you came and you presented on the work that you're doing at MITRE, and I just was immediately drawn to you because I think you have such an interesting background, and so immediately I was like, she's somebody that I definitely want to bring on the podcast, one, because I think, you know, women in IT, there's there's not a lot of us, so I love, you know, sharing your story there, um, but I think you have a really interesting career trajectory that I think would be really worthy of sharing um, with folks. So I guess to start, maybe if you could just walk us through, you know, take us back to a young Maggie, kind of how did you enter the career of security? Was it something that you studied in college? What does that look like for you? Were there any signs from a young age that this was going to be your path in life? Well, uh, that's such an interesting question. I, I would say um, if it wasn't, it's because cybersecurity wasn't really as much of a thing uh, when I at least first graduated and certainly not when I was a, a kid or anything like that. Um, you know, if, if I could do it all over again, I would absolutely go back to school. You know, I would have started in computer science and, and, and cybersecurity and things like that. But I, I really found my way into it quite by accident. Um, and, and at the time when I graduated in 2009, there just weren't like programs really out there. Uh, and there were some minors in cybersecurity. There was some... Uh, you know, uh, obviously, like if you went to Stanford or something or MIT, you could probably, you know, major in it and things like that. But no, I ended up in it quite by accident um, by uh, by graduating during the Great Recession mm-hmm. um, and basically just uh, sort of pounding pavement. And it was a cybersecurity startup uh, in election security, which was the first that hired me. Um, and I quickly fell in love with the field um, and the sense of importance that it had. Um, I'm a bit of a romantic. I was an English major and archaeologist. Mm. Um uh, and, uh, just immediately the fact that it's sort of this thing that everybody needs in terms of security as we become increasingly networked, but it's also something that, you know, at your conferences, we have like, you know, NSA people, we have spies, you know, we have, uh, the, the, the conflict between Ukraine and Russia right now is like relevant to our field. And that's not something that belly button fields, some things that everything, everybody needs, uh, usually can say. Um, so I was just immediately fascinated by it and, and was very glad I found it, but it was quite by accident. Yeah. And I, that's, again, like, that's what I love most about this industry is that, like I said, I've said in the past, like, very rarely do you go to school for it. It's just kind of something that you stumble in. And then it's like the best, you know, kind of discovery that you can make. You're like, oh, man, I wish I had discovered this sooner. Um, so it sounds like just from very early on, like it was something that you gravitated towards and felt like it was a good fit, which I don't think when you're first graduating from college, I think a lot of times in your young 20s, there's a lot of swings and a miss, but it sounds like for you, it was like something that was immediately like, oh, this makes sense for me. Yeah, exactly. I think I think part of it, too, is just you have that like youthful idealism and you want to do something that matters and uh, short of maybe joining like a really worthy nonprofit or like being a teacher or something. There's there's not a lot of fields like right out of college where you can do that and feel like you also have a career trajectory 
um, that's significant. And so it was also very, you know, tempting from that point of view of like, I can, I can grow in this field and I can not feel like I'm on the wrong side of things, you know, like I can feel proud of what I do and, and whatever I do, hopefully, unless I join some really awful startup, you know, like I can, I can continue to be on the good guy side. I can, you know, continue to be fighting the bad guys and, and making the world a better place in some way. Yeah. So is that why you got into election security? It seems like, and this might not be the right word, but it's pretty esoteric, like, you know, like a very small subsidiary number of folks kind of, you know, very niche things. So what, you know, caught your attention there? And why was it something that you wanted to path you wanted to travel down? Well, being introduced, it was quite random. It was just, uh, you know, an alumni at my school, an alumnus at my school introduced me to another guy he knew who was starting this startup. I knew nothing. But it, it'd be more relevant to say, like, why did I stay? And, it, and again, it was sort of that sense of like, well, this is like, this is really important. This is uh, this is the free world. I mean, this is democracy. And, and the fact that elections, um, you know, uh, not to dip into that too quickly, too fast, but like the fact that to me, it seemed incredibly uh, relevant right away that if you wanted to really like do mass damage to an election, the machines and the technology were probably one of the most dangerous places to do it. I was like, if I can help with this problem at all. I did a lot of, you know, even when I moved on from that particular startup, because I wasn't there very long before I went to several other startups kind of in the same, uh, all who had the same inventor. Mm. I still continue to do pro bono work there because it just was, it just felt very important, which is funny because, you know, I was doing that for like six years and people's eyes would glaze over when I mentioned it. They're just like, what? What is this? It's election security, as you said, it's very esoteric. Um, and then, of course, 2016 happened, and all of a sudden, people are like, "Oh, that's so relevant. That's so interesting." So, um, but not not for a good reason, right? <laughs> it's, it's just you know, it's like, "Oh no, um, this thing's relevant now." So uh, it, it is funny, but I, I continue to I love that world and find it very relevant. But as you say, it's very small, and there's not like a lot of people hiring there, shall we say? So, as an English major, yeah, what did that like first day in that position look like for you? Was it were you just like a caught in headlights and like YouTubing stuff in the background because honestly that's that's what I was doing about every single second of the day when I first got into you know IT um, so how did you bridge that knowledge gap so with election security it's actually very low tech um, compared to other things actually what I started with in specifically election security was running high it's very manual it's very administrative it was um, running high-speed scanners because what we were doing was a form of um, uh, transitive audit, which is like we would rescan all the ballots with a with a non black box system with a transparent system, and then compare the results that way because a lot of these voting systems are protected uh, IP, so you couldn't like tear them apart and see how they worked. You had to just run it kind of a second time. So I, I but uh, paper handling and all that stuff is actually weirdly. Um, uh, a really necessary discipline in election security, like how not to damage ballots again, how to run them at a high enough fidelity so that the computer software can do its work. So that was my kind of intern slash first employee work. It was very, uh, very like paper handling. Mm. But I was also there while the CTO was like creating the software to read it. So I was reading over his shoulder. He was showing it to me. He was explaining all these concepts of cybersecurity to me, which were increasingly intriguing. Um, and then I kind of to, from there to like the next startups was often taking that sort of just interest in learning the theory, but also that position of being able to still as an English major translate it like lucidly to layman, uh, sort of as my like superpower there, which is I was like almost didn't want to pull up, like pick up too much engineering knowledge too quickly because I could still translate those themes into uh, sort of, you know, English. 
So looking back, what is it that you loved the most about your time there? And obviously you loved it so much that you decided to continue the work even after you were no longer doing it like, as a formal employee. So um, obviously for altruistic reasons, right? Like you, you felt like you were making a difference, which clearly you were, but was there any other kind of reason what made you stay and continue to do the work? I, you know, a lot of reasons. The technology itself was exciting. Unfortunately, transitive audits were never the ones that really took off. It was um, now we do uh, risk limiting audits are kind of the ones that are making the rounds in the election security world. Um, so that but the technology was really exciting. Um, the the, the skill set kind of allowed you to talk to just interesting people like uh, the, the the wider election security community is made up of Ron Rivest, um, the R and RSA. Um, the uh, it's got, um, you know, former nuclear lab scientists there. It's got, you know, just a fa fantastic array of experts who became like a family because it was such a small community. And I just, you know, continued to want to help them out. Um, and and uh, again, it was almost sort of like, you know, why why volunteer in general? It was like I can do my work and then I can also do things on the side that make me feel like a good person and like I'm contributing to society. Um, and uh, so that was kind of one reason I kept my hand in it. Um, and then we sort of in our consultancy later with that same group eventually did find our way back to doing election security work. So keeping my hand in it was also relevant just to stay abreast of that, that yeah. very small field. Now, is it something that you foresee yourself still being involved in with your position at MITRE or what does that look like for you in the future? MITRE has its own team on election security, which mm -hmm. I haven't necessarily made contact with in, in terms of like speaking on their behalf. So this should all be prefaced by saying I'm not doing election security work with MITRE at this time. Yeah. At this point, I would say for the foreseeable future, because I've parted ways with the voting village, um, uh, I would still help them in a heartbeat. Like they're still wonderful people. I still highly encourage it. Just career trajectory. I just didn't have the time uh, this last couple of years. Um, I, I see myself mostly just doing educational work. You know, it's, a lot of, it's still a topic of a great deal of interest to a lot of people. So again, I stay abreast of the news and I can still uh, explain it cogently to people, I think, and help dispel misinformation. Um, and I still uh, volunteer as a poll worker in my local town too, which I highly encourage everyone to do if they have the chance. But I'm not like I'm not like actively like looking in the election security field for for career, uh, you know, continuation there. Gotcha. And now you mentioned that after that you transitioned to working for several startups. Um, what drew you to the startup world? Because it's definitely, you know, prior to to me working at one, I kind of, you know, I, I was somebody who was had this in my mind. I'm very risk adverse. Like, uh, you know, I'm safe at a big organization, but then just fell in love with the the technology and service in my current role, and just was like, that was enough for me to kind of make that plunge. But um, you, it sounds like you were somebody that was willing to take those risks from the get-go. And what about startups um, do you find so compelling? It's a couple things to that. First, I would say, again, graduating in 2009 at the really this absolute doldrums of the recession meant that startups were the only people hiring, yeah. to be honest. Um, people my age of that lack of experience. Mm -hmm. So the risk was actually a little bit for at least a few years there, which was the beginning of my career flipped in terms of like, I can get a job at a startup. I can't guarantee that people with 10, 20 years more experience than me aren't getting laid off at much bigger, safer, quote unquote, corporations. And I don't have the skill set yet, unless I do more work to get in the door there. I don't have, you know, internships or connections or anything like that. It, it was really quite scary and tough world. I mean, it took eight months from me out of college to even find a startup that would hire me. Uh, so just uh, for college, you know, if anyone's, uh, you know, in their mid thirties, they might, that story might sound familiar to them. 
And then once I was there, of course, I enjoyed it. I had a close relationship with the CTO of, again, that was Clear Ballot Group. Um, he went on to have his technology. He basically kind of bounced around to be the CTO at several startups that were based on his technology. Um, and at that point, I was very uh, experienced at like translating. He, he, he spoke English as a second language. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, uh, I felt pretty good at explaining his technology to other people. And I just like working with him. So I would just kind of follow him to whatever startup he went to next. And so that was kind of my next few years before he and I eventually founded a consultancy in 2016 uh, to address, uh, among other things, election security. Yeah. And if I've said this a thousand times, it will never be enough, but I can't express the importance of finding mentors and people that will, you know, you can latch on to and learn from. And um, it sounds like you had that. And certainly every role that I've ever had post-college is there's a direct correlation back to a St. Lawrence University alum or somebody that I worked with formerly. Um, And for me, being an introvert, it was really hard for me to like put myself out there and and, and reach out to people. And um, but it's been such a wonderful journey. Um, and it sounds like that had a huge impact on kind of where you are now today. Um, would you say that's that's true? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I think there probably was a point where what sounds dangerous to other people, again, like startup after startup was actually sort of the safe bet because it was by then the world I knew and it was the mentor I knew and the, the people I knew. Um, and it wasn't really until, um, you know, the pandemic hit that I was looking, you know, elsewhere. And that was a big and very scary step to go from that small world of startups to like a bigger corporation, um, you know, more established uh, companies in the field. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I love most about working at a startup is that you get to put your tentacles in so many different things. Like you learn, like the learning curve is just tremendous. And there's at larger companies, it's more, you know, and I'm, there's something to be said for working a larger company. I'm not, you know, um, <clears throat> saying anything against that. But for me personally, it's so nice and refreshing to be able to you just work on so many different projects and really feel like you're, to your point, making a difference. And so I think, you know, for any of the folks out there, I think this conversation is pretty timely because we're kind of in a situation where we don't, you know, which way the the world is going right now. And startups are, again, seem to be one of the people, you know, one of the folks that are are hiring. So I definitely, you know, 10 out of 10 recommend for anyone that's curious going in that direction and, and finding a mentor and reaching out to those folks and and exploring that for a career. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you um, walk me through how you started at MITRE and and I know you're and what you're doing with the MITRE Ingenuity Project and it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, and I love when you came and, and spoke about the work that you're doing. Um, so what, what does that look like day in and day out? I was uh, reached out to by MITRE uh, this past summer, uh, specifically um, it's it's kind of a funny thing. It's almost like a a, a rush like a nesting doll because there's Mitre, which is this you know sixty year old uh, nonprofit you know founded to you know support the Air Force. It's um, you know very uh, very dignified kind of within the field um, and ancient you know as these things go. Uh, and then within it, recently last few years, they spun off something called Mitre Ingenuity, which had a mandate to um, work specifically with private industry. So if um, so, Mitre does um, nonprofit research. Uh, but it had, you know, its primary, you know, constant customers or people like the DOD. Yeah. Um, and then much of the infrastructure is still built around that. You know, it's like it's very a lot of people with clearances, a lot of classified work. And so they spun off this little like this, not little, but this this secondary arm that could handle working with the private sector, fewer restrictions, things like that. And then within that is something called the Center for Threat and Form Defense, which is where I am. 
Um, not to be confused with the people who do like MITRE ATT&CK or the MITRE evaluations, sure. which are all, you know, wh wh which a lot of people, uh, and especially in the vendor field, are very familiar with in cybersecurity. Um, the, the point of the cyber, the Center for Threat Informed Defense is to um, advance the state of the art and state of practice in threat informed defense, which is a philosophy of approach to cybersecurity, which is focused on what is the adversary doing rather than like our, you know, defensive compliances and checking all the little boxes and things like that. Um, and also about building upon the MITRE framework. So if you wish that MITRE framework would do something that it doesn't currently do, you know, you could partner with the, the Center for Threat Informed Defense and they would create that that sort of add-on, that sort of new functionality for the MITRE framework. Um, and it would then be released uh, for the public good. Um, so there's about 22 projects out there already that they've worked on things like um, uh, you know, translating 800-53 uh, to attack, things like uh, top attack techniques, which, you know, ranked the most common uh, uh, attack techniques mm -hmm. in the framework, you know, that are used. And uh, recently uh, we were doing, uh, what's another one that's really, yeah, attack flow, which is like allows like a visualization and mapping of of how attacks, you know, are, are um, conducted by adversaries. And these are all to make life hopefully easier, uh, which makes all of us safer for analysts and practitioners on the ground and also for translating these, um, sometimes these complicated concepts upstream to decision makers, sea levels and things like that. So what does um, a day in a life look like for you? Kind of what is your, your role and responsibility? And I know you do a lot of speaking engagements and, um, and whatnot. So what does that kind of walk us through what that looks like for you? So currently, uh, so the funny thing is, and, and I mean this with all affection, uh, you know, MITRE was was never really a, a, an outgoing organization. It was all very, you know, researchy and self, you know, focused on the science and the engineering. And in fact, many people were forbidden from talking about their projects. So then they spin off this ingenuity project, you know, this uh, spinoff, and um, they don't have a lot of like industry experience. People who are in the private sector industry don't necessarily work within MITRE. They're, they're just very different personality types. Mm. So they've since begun to reach out to people who work in the industry um, to kind of bring in that type of talent, that sort of willingness to be outgoing and to get, get the word out. So what they were kind of finding was they had these fabulous, you know, for the common good projects, wonderful work. And the word just wasn't necessarily getting out there about them. Now, to to their in their defense, the last couple of years since the center was, you know, founded was COVID. Yeah. So I'm sure they had great designs of going out there, pounding the pavement, getting the word out, and that was, you know, very swiftly curtailed. Um, but, uh, so I was brought on to help get the word out about the projects, to engage more with the partners they have, to talk to potential partners and just like let people know that this wonderful work is being done. And it's actually, you know, out there for the use by the wider community. Yeah. It's definitely something that, um, a framework that we hold very near and dear to our, our hearts. It's intripetal, certainly. Um, so for folks that are just kind of starting out in the industry, would you recommend them familiarizing themselves with the framework and kind of as a, as a starting point? Cause I think a lot of folks use it for their framework. Absolutely. Actually, um, this isn't quite my like little sub sub department, but there's a, a MAD uh, university or uh, the MAD course, which is a MITRE attack defender certifications, which are over on Cybrary now, I believe. Um, those are um, basically free introductory frameworks with a certificate. Now to get the proper certification at you, it's like, but it's actually quite cheap, um, but there's a little bit of money, but it's definitely compared to many other certifications, much, much more reasonable, uh, which will give most practitioners, you know, a good introduction to the MITRE attack framework, the basics, how how to be part of a SOC, you know, uh, how to do a SOC analysis. 
but it, there's a lot of resources actually that MITRE uh, Ingenuity has put out there through the MAD uh, program to uh, educate people. And I would highly suggest they start there because that's all wonderful and cogent and, and they're free for their use. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. And to that end, um, what other resources do you use for yourself personally? Like, are you a podcast person? Are you books? Or how do you um, ingest your, your knowledge and continue to, you know, um, educate yourself? For the moment, I'm still making my way through MAD because there's like quite a rich amount of um, courses and it's all very clearly put out there. But yes, I, I think besides that, I'm often, you know, a podcast person. I love listening to um, conference lectures. A lot of conferences put out their um, like DEFCON did and ShmooCon and all those, they put out their talks um, usually on YouTube within a year or so after the program happens. So, so I'll sometimes go back through those as well. Yeah, there's. I recently have stumbled across, and I'm like feel like I'm such a late comer to this, but the Darknet Diaries. I don't know if you've ever listened to that, but it's it's just this wonderful podcast, and I definitely recommend it for folks um, that are interested in the cybersecurity world. Uh, the host does a great job of, uh, it, you know, kind of it's I wouldn't say entry level, but he does a great job of of sharing stories about um, the dark web, and um, definitely compelling reason to to join the fold and get into cybersecurity. So it's definitely something that um, I, I love listening to podcasts. And I think that they're a great way to, to learn and um, from some of the best in the industry. So um, what is it that you love the most about working in cybersecurity? Just kind of just jumping off your Darknet Diaries thing, you know, I'm sure that goes into like a lot of geopolitical stuff. It goes into a lot of um, changing world stage. So um, my my first love is uh, like sci-fi writing. Mm. That was why I was an English major in school. And I think that's probably kind of why I got my brain like so turned on to this. It's like, oh, not that it was going to become like a basis for a book or anything, but just that curiosity was always there um, about the changing landscape of the world and and sort of like the big forces and the big conflicts that are out there. I'm also a huge history buff. Um, so I, I think the ways that cybersecurity is both extremely new, I mean, uh, election security will really show you because it's such a slow moving field, just how new cybersecurity is like, um, you know, it, it, it's only been about 15 years in, you know, protecting ourselves over online or through devices compared to election security's larger uh, lifetime, which is 100, 150 years, uh, things like the secret ballot and things like that. So you see this juxtaposition of the way that we were protecting information in the paper, you know, pen and paper days versus the way we do it now. And you realize how short of a time it's really been. Um, and so we really just sort of are on the forefront of this sort of brave new world of what does it look like? Um, to, to, to conduct business, uh, to conduct warfare, to conduct uh, information and, mm. and people's finances, all in this like almost new ocean, this new um, terrain that has never existed until 15 years ago and isn't completely made up of machines and people and thought and things like that. And how do we protect ourselves? It's just it's a very compelling sort of thought, pro um, you know, place to be uh, and, and to see where that's going, developing going forward um, and this field as it matures. Yeah. So I guess on the like the opposite end of the spectrum, what do you find the most frustrating or what what do you struggle with that when you come across a problem, how do you go about like resolving it? Oh, geez. Well, I would say that um, one of the wider industry uh, problems we're facing, again, is that maturity. Um, you know, it's not like doctors and lawyers where, you know, theoretically you could you could start, um, you know, at law school and as a lawyer and then get your, you know, become a clerk somewhere and work your way up and then be a lawyer and then theoretically a judge or something. You know, that's a very clear pipeline of where to start. And cybersecurity, we still have this problem. I've mentored some young women before uh, and and despite everything, we're still so 
dependent, like you and I both got into this through knowing people, through mentorships, mm. but those are not accessible. And those are so, the fact that we got in by luck is not good. That's not good for a mature industry. 100%. We, yeah, yes. we can't continue to rely on that. And so we really as an industry need to address those first, we can't start everybody on the rung five of the ladder and just hope people luck into it. Um, and we have this incredible crunch of, of lack of, you know, it's funny that we have this problem, all these people who are trying to get into the field who can't find a way in, and this whole headcount problem that we're also facing of not being able to fill all the positions. And you're like, can we not find a way? These are the same problem. Why can't we fix this? Um, and, and everyone's talking about it. Everybody agrees it's a problem, but there's, it's still been so slow um, overcoming that problem. Yeah, I would, I am, you're 100% right. Like, I, I am so fortunate and I'm so glad that somebody took a chance on me. Um, and that's like, you know, a, a one in a million type thing. And, and that's, that's not enough, certainly. So I try anytime someone that's like has a remote interest, I'm like a piranha. I'm like, just, just try it. <laughs> yeah, just try it. Like, it will be one of the best decisions that you ever made. Because for me, one of the things that I love the most is that I'm learning something new every single day. No day is the same as the one before. And for some folks, they might find that frustrating because you never feel like you're like, you know everything. Um, but for me, uh, or anyone that has kind of that gross mindset, just constantly looking to get better, um, it's it's just the best. I go to bed at night and I'm like, all right, what's tomorrow going to bring? And that's like a great feeling. Um, and so for you, what is it, what is your experience have been like being a female in IT? Because honestly, there's, there's not a lot of us. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. I feel like on the one hand, I've been very fortunate in that I've always been with teams. Like for example, my, my team with Sam Curry at Cyber Reason was, you know, about half women. And that I know is quite unusual for the field. Mm. Um, and I always felt very, um, you know, respected and, and, and very not like singled out in any way for being a woman in the field. Um, and obviously the startup you know, there was like three of us at any, you know, some given time. So there was, you know, I was a co-founder, so there wasn't really uh, as much of a uh, necessarily like a larger team to worry about there as far as uh, different, different views. But, you know, I, 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 um, I certainly, I, I see it more ambiently as far as like when I, you know what it was, I think, I think the time I saw it most unfortunately was I was giving, I was moderating a talk at a, a conference and it was a CS, a CSO level conference. It was a round table. They were supposed to be, I was basically just making sure nobody like hogged the whole table. Sure. And I looked around and there was like 20 guys in that room, 20 people in that room. They were all, you know, white men of about the same age. There was one uh, man of color and that was it. And it, and I was the only woman in that room. And I definitely just had a moment of like, I understand this is like sea level. This is, you know, quite mature. And if at the lower levels, you know, you, it, the numbers are a little more balanced. Um, but it, it is still at the lower levels that they're balanced. And if you look at some of these pictures of, of, you know, high, uh, of conferences where like the real thought leaders and decision makers are, it is overwhelmingly male. And, uh, and I think we're starting to see some change there, but it's, you know, it, who knows how long until that's going to shake out the other way. And it's sad. It, it's just, Sad to see, and you kind of wonder what perceptions, perspectives are being lost there. Uh, for example, um, oh gosh, I remember it was kind of made fun of, but like at one point, uh, this is like ten years ago now. I think Google tried to match Facebook, and they, but they weren't. Uh, they tried to make their own social media, and they were having this rule where, though, unlike Facebook, and this was touted as a feature, everyone would have to use their real name and their like real contact info, and that was supposed to, you know, cut down on trolling and things like that. And I was just like, these people have never in their life worried about like being stalked 
by an ex or, uh, you know, have no awareness whatsoever about why people might want to be private online for reasons that aren't for trolling. And I was just thinking, like, what perspectives were lost that, like, nobody in a world defined in our field by privacy and security had ever considered that maybe people don't want their real information out there for completely legitimate reasons. And, and it felt like if a woman had been in the room, maybe, or just somebody who had gone through that, just a wider breadth of views. Um, you know, that maybe wouldn't have happened and maybe that service would have been more useful and didn't, would crash and burn like it later did. Yeah, I mean, that's such a good example to give. And that's definitely been, you know, my experience. Um, a lot of times in the conference room, I'd look around and there'd be there'd be 20 people in the room and I would speak and I would feel like a lot of times I was being looked through. Mm. Um, and it was just the worst feeling. And so I would made it my mission to be like, I never want anyone else to feel this way. And I would just continue to like empower myself with knowledge. I just became someone who just wanted to consume um, to sort of make myself not feel like an imposter in a lot of those situations. And I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to approach it. But certainly, I think for anyone, you know, that's a minority um, and is looking to get into this field, you are welcome, you are needed, you are wanted and reach out to folks like yourself. Um, and pick their brain and because because we want you here, you know, because to your point, your voice is so valuable. So aside from, you know, what you're working on at MITRE, what are your outside interests? Well, I, I continue to write fiction, you know, on my own time on what you call pre-pro, which is, you know, uh, I've written many short stories and I just need to actually carve out the time to start submitting them. Uh, so that's still a great interest of mine. I'm a great history buff, as I said, um, and uh, I'm, I'm really fun at parties because, you know, at home when I just need something on in the background, I'll put on like a history lecture uh, from like the Great Courses series or something. And I'll listen through like 20 to 40 hours of just like the history of China. And uh, and and as I said, that makes me really fun at parties. I'll be like, oh, did you know this thing? Anyway. I'm laughing because I'm like, that sounds like great fun to me. <laughs> It is great fun. It is great fun. I really recommend these courses because uh, they're they they got me through the, the through lockdown. Basically, it was just listening to like forty hours on you know the history of some part of the world. Yeah. So I guess what is what's next for? Are you do you have any big conferences that you're speaking at or um, traveling again or where where's the next um, stop in the road for you? I think everyone's getting up, geared up pretty soon for RSA. You know, that's mm. that's the really big one. I am not talking, I'm not speaking there. Uh, we have some wonderful SMEs who are going to be giving talks on like our recent work, you know, the lead engineers on our projects. But I will be manning the booth, which I haven't done in a very while, a long time. But I'm, I'm really excited. It's going to be very informative. Um, and hopefully meeting with some of our prospects and some of our, you know, current uh, partners and things like that. And, and, and this will be one of my more... Um, I, I suppose uh, not quite my my debutante ball type thing, but it'd be like it'll be one of the biggest events in which I'll be working in this role and and originating some new, some new plans for the center, just like uh, to get the word out about us and and uh, see you know uh, you know how how we can get more people to know about our projects and and basically do the job I was hired to do. So I'm very excited for RSA um, and and it'll feel like a, a wonderful sort of full circle because I was last there February 2020 and it will really sort of feel like the pandemic is well maybe not ended but it's certainly drawn to some sort of uh, stage conclusion to be back there with you know, supposedly you know, I guess 40,000 people again <laughs> and doing that once more. I know it's um I never thought I would say like I'm excited you know again as an introvert um, that I'm excited about going back to events but even I'm like waving the white flag here I'm like it's just you know the, one of the first I went events I went to was last March and it was interesting it was like it's kind of a bit of like a science experiment like people didn't really remember how to 
to talk to one another. I'm like speaking and I'm like, I don't, I'm like, this has been, I'm used to just looking through like a Zoom, you know, and having a, a chat with somebody else on a computer. So it was definitely um, a learning curve there. So I'm glad that you're excited. RSA is a great event. Um, good to meet a lot of folks. Um, for you, what would you recommend for the folks that are, you know, listening that are just trying to get their foot in the door and start out in the industry? And um, where would you direct them? You know, again, it's still such a roulette that I'm very cynical. So I'm going to give the absolute like graduated during the recession cynical take, which is fair. It's don't don't spam your resume everywhere. Uh, it will not work. I've never gotten a job in my life through anything but knowing somebody somewhere and or, you know, them knowing about me. Uh, so like when I worked at, when I got, uh, started interviewing at Cyber Reason, I had already done a red team exercise with their team. And that's how I found out I really loved the people there. And I was really eager to work with them uh, beyond that one, you know, uh, election security is how I found out about it, red team exercise. So I would basically say, while conferences are still primarily online, like a lot of them are still primarily online or have now spun off an online version, go to them. If there's any way you can do a speaker thing, even if it's just a lightning round about something, sometimes I'll have like these little 15 minute lightning rounds. Do that if you can, just talking about any projects you're working on, because being a known face at these sort of conferences is huge. Um, any sort of these free events, because that's really where um, you get your face and your name out there and you can meet people who want to help you. There's a lot of uh, women I know who are trying to hire other women. And so they go to things like the Diana Initiative, which still has an online conference component, and they have a career track there and just park there and, and just let people who are hired. That's where the people who are hiring or who want to help people get hired go and just make sure to talk to those people. And again, while it's online, it's it's a very low lift if you don't have a lot of money or a lot of resources at your disposal. So just Go to any any free thing you can, any like sort of networking thing you can in your area, like the ISSA is a great feature. They have one of those types of events and just get in front of people as much as you can. Uh, if you can do a speaking thing, that gets your face and your name out there as well. If you can do an event, do those sorts of things. Uh, everything I know in this field so far has been people and people willing to take a chance on you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? You like you have to be willing to put in the work to build relationships. It's not going to be something that's instantaneous. You have to kind of meet people where they are and and really work at it, you know. And I think the biggest thing is um, just not being afraid to put yourself out there. I mean, one of the most frustrating things when I was first coming into the fold was I'm like, oh my gosh, this industry has so many acronyms. Like I'm never going to learn all all the acronyms. So I would literally sit in meetings and just write them down on my, you know, my yellow pad and just nod my head and be like, yes, I absolutely understand what all these things mean. And then I would go and I would look them up afterwards, you know, um, and it's just funny to me because it's, it will never cease to amaze me how many acronyms we have in this industry. If someone could solve that problem, that would be great. <laughs> I, I, I always would tell my CSO, um, just on the first page of your talks or your PowerPoints, things to the, to the other decision makers, just one time right out the acronym before you start using it because you just never know what C-level or somebody like that's going to be turned off because they don't know that one acronym and now they feel stupid and or they're afraid to ask or they no longer understand. So just like always spell it out once on the first page 
and then start using the acronym so nobody has to raise their hand and ask what that acronym is. Because there's a lot of overloaded ones too. And and by the way, our field is getting so diversified that if you don't know like one cloud acronym versus like one, you know, um, critical infrastructure one, there's no shame in that. And it's actually, if people, I think people who pretend that it, it like that it is something on you, they're, they're, they're fakes in my mind too, because they should know better. Like all the great people in this field I know have always been welcoming. People who are truly talented have never looked down on somebody for that sort of thing. Um, it's only the sort of mid-level ones who do, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. Cause something that took me so long to learn, we'll say like well into my, you know, mid thirties is that nobody thinks about you as much as you think about you. So I would just sit there and internalize and, and feel like, you know, I can't ask that question, but at the end of the day, like nobody, nobody cares. Truly, truly they don't. Yeah. So ask the dumb question, yes. um, because there's nobody that's going to, and if they are judging you, then they're, they're not your person. Right. So yeah. Um, I definitely took me a long time to learn. So anyone who's listening, yeah. just ask. <laughs> ask the dumb questions. Don't be like me. Everyone around you will be grateful that you <laughs> asked and they didn't have to. And and if there is a good person on the other end of it, who like somebody who really likes to educate and uplift others, which is the sort of people you want to work with, um, they'll be enthused to let you know about it. Every expert I've ever known is excited to talk about their field. Yes. And you're absolutely right. There's going to be at least three or four other people in the room like, oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad that person asked that. <laughs> now I don't have to raise my hand and ask. Um, well, it's... It's been so wonderful talking to you. Where can folks find more information on you? I know you have, you know, a lot. Um, do you have a website or um, where can folks connect with you? I am on LinkedIn and Twitter primarily. So it's just my name, Maggie McAlpine, uh, which should be visible on the podcast. I won't expect you to try to learn that from this, from me saying it. Um, but yeah, on Twitter is where I tend to do most of my like election or cybersecurity short form, just like, you know, this lawsuit's going on still. Uh, it's been a little quiet lately, but I do intend to jump back into it a bit more now that I'm sort of got my head above water with the new job. Uh, and uh, LinkedIn, of course, uh, if somebody is looking to just chat there, uh, you know, but not a sales pitch, obviously, I'm going to be a little wary on LinkedIn, because I'm going to assume the first thing that happens is going to be a sales pitch. But like, if you just want to connect and ask more about the field, I would absolutely, I'm always overjoyed to help people. Yes, it takes time to build relationships. So yes. uh, spare spare the the sales pitch on the uh, the first uh, LinkedIn connect. Yeah, uh, well, it was wonderful speaking with you. Thank you so much for sharing your time. You're such a gift to the cybersecurity world, um, and I think that um, all the work that you're doing is wonderful. And I appreciate your your self deprecating nature. And I love <laughs> that you have so many interests outside of cybersecurity that you're pursuing because I think that's so important. So I look forward to seeing your uh, books published. Um, and thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sager, likewise. <laughs>